Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Hello, everybody. Every time I see myself on screen, it always surprises and shocks me. I don't know why, since I see myself every day. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do about mirrors. Maybe the digital geniuses of Silicon Valley can reinvent mirrors so we look better than we appear. Um, it is the afternoon of December the 3rd, and the digital geniuses of Silicon Valley are once again in the news. Um, as always, Mark Zuckerberg is promising that Facebook will remove coronavirus vaccine misinformation. Um, and as always, I'm guessing, because who knows what will happen in the future, as always, he won't deliver on what he promises. Uh, he has presented and successfully made a fortune out of creating Facebook as a public space. But of course, in reality, it's a private one, which has made him and a few other people enormously, unimaginably wealthy. Uh, meanwhile, um, Californians have been banned from going out because COVID is spiking here. I mean, Berkeley, I'm not sure if I'm banned from going out, but people in LA now have to stay at home. So the very idea of the public is under threat, not only in digital form, but in physical form too. So what are we going to do about it? Well, one person who's given a lot of thought to the role of public space in our digital age is my guest today, uh, Talia Stroud. She is, amongst other things, she's a distinguished academic at the University of uh, uh, Texas at Austin, and she's the co-director of a new, I guess you would call it civic organization called Civic Signals, designed to rebuild or re-stimulate public digital space. Italia, did I get that right? Yes. So define, define for me, Italia, what, well, perhaps we might begin with digital, so with, with public space and then get to the, the digital sphere. What, what is public space? Uh, wonderful to be here. And when we think about public space, uh, it's often easy to bring to mind these kind of bygone ideas of where, what is a place where a public gathers? And so you might think about a town hall meeting, for instance, or even a public square. But public space can be anywhere where members of the public interact with one another. So you could think about a city park, for example, as a place where it is designed for the public to come together uh, maybe they don't interact intentionally, but they're all coexisting and using the same space. And so when we think about the internet, there really isn't any sort of norms or designs for that in the same way as there might be when we think about what happens in actual physical space like a city park. So basic definition, any, any sort of place where members of the public come together and coexist going about what their activities might happen to be and in spaces where they organize in order to make society better. Well, that's a nice definition, uh, Talia. Uh, let's have a couple of images for people watching this. Uh, you will see a picture of Central Park in New York, the classic 
physical 20th century or late 19th, 20th century urban space. Um, and also this image, which I uh, appropriated, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to, from uh, Wikipedia, Piazza della Signoria in, uh, in Florence, the, the, the uh, early modern idea of a public space, a, a physical a physical square where citizens got together. Now, Talia, um, how is how are those spaces, or how ideally can those spaces be replicated in 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 the digital sphere? Can we have a a Florentine public square or a New York park on the internet? That's exactly what Civic Signals is designed to do, is to think about how can we design to create public spaces on the internet? And we think that there is a possibility to do that and that it's been a neglected area of thinking. So often social media companies or platforms are really thinking about user-friendly design. And what we're thinking about at Civic Signals is, are there ways to design public-friendly digital spaces? And we think that there are, and there are there are design strategies that could be employed to try to make these spaces feel the same way that you feel when you're in a park, when you're coexisting with other people, or that you feel when you're collaborating with others on some sort of community or civic initiative. Talia, of course, what I did um, before uh, this, this conversation uh, to prepare was enter public space on Google, my search engine, can't say my LUD search engine because I don't like Google, but I am reliant on it. And of course, what popped up first was uh, this public space definition where I took the, um, the, the Florentine photograph uh, on Wikipedia. Is Wikipedia the closest thing we have on the internet to public space? Wikipedia is definitely a great example of a type of public space, right? It's a place where people collaborate with one another in order to provide information more broadly speaking. But there are other public spaces that we might envision or that we might think even exist now. So are there ways in which existing platforms, even though they're, they're owned and driven by other metrics, could approximate more of a public space? Uh, are there spaces in which you could have really great dialogues about what's happening in one's community, even if, maybe in a Facebook group, for instance? So I think that 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 Wikipedia is a great example, but there is there are certainly other examples and other forms of social media of where it is that this happens and how it could happen. So I don't think there's any like one ideal place that it's happening. And I think this is a realm where there's so much opportunity for inventiveness, for thinking about how is it that you translate some of these things that we hold so dear in physical space into the digital realm? Talia, on my other screen, I can't put it up on this screen. I'm looking at your Twitter page. Um, and of course, for many people, the public space on the internet is Twitter, which like Facebook is a privately owned company. Um, Twitter has been in the news again recently, as Facebook is. They banned Steve Bannon. And my guess is, in the not too distant future, they will also ban uh, Donald Trump. What's wrong with Twitter as an example of the public space? After all, in uh, early modern Florence, they threw out troublemakers like Bannon or Trump. Uh, aren't they examples? Facebook was maybe not Facebook, but certainly Twitter of a public space. 
Uh, so I think these are certainly examples of public space, but is it the way that we would want public space to function? And I think a lot of people would agree that maybe that's not exactly how we want public spaces to function. So we can think about just a space where people cohabit or co-author tweets. And then we can think about what are really the principles of design that we would want to make a space where people are meeting their collective goals, where society is functioning in the best way possible. And that's what we're really thinking about civic signals is like, what is it that makes that space great? So when we look at a place like Twitter, are there attributes of Twitter that we might think are not really so productive in terms of this goal of what's a great public space for people to develop shared goals and enact their, their ideas as a community? And I think there are lots of things we could point to on Twitter that don't really meet that ideal. Uh, it's not frequently on Twitter where you see a substantive, thoughtful conversation that allows people to come up with new ideas. There's evidence that people on Twitter are remaining in enclave spaces where they're speaking only to others that share their particular views. Uh, there's evidence that people don't feel safe on Twitter because of the, the extent of uh, hateful speech directed toward them. And I think all of these are attributes of a space that isn't uh, living up to an ideal or that has room for improvement for meeting what an ideal might actually be. Uh, Talia, your your co-founder and your co-director uh, at Civil at Civic Signals is Eli Parisa, the author of The Filter Bubble and a, a very well-known digital activist and social entrepreneur. Um, Eli was the guy, perhaps more than anyone else, who popularized the notion of filter bubbles on the internet. The problem you're describing, though, is a cultural problem, isn't it? Rather than a technological one, it's not. Twitter's fault that people are so intolerant of one another. It's not even, I mean, I love to, to blame Mark Zuckerberg for everything, but it's not even Mark Zuckerberg's fault that people are insane enough not to trust vaccines which are, which are underwritten by, uh, by, by the government. Uh, without question, these are not issues that all of a sudden came to the fore in a social media era or an era of platforms. These are enduring human issues that we've encountered when we were thinking about physical uh, public space into contemporary times. But I think what is different and what is important right now is that these platforms and these spaces have the ability to design in order to amplify or reduce some of these issues, right? So you can design an environment in which the content that surfaced is the most hate-filled partisan content because that gets a lot of engagement and reactions and then you algorithmically prioritize that content or you cannot do that. You can design a space that includes prompts to encourage people to be thoughtful. You can design a space that recommends people with different political viewpoints than your own. There are so many design choices that can be made and it's up to a company to decide where they're going to put their effort and their money, right? Are you going to be designing to maximize the time that people spend on a page? And is it um, really inflammatory content that does that? Then you design to increase that sort of content. Or what we're proposing is that there are also ways to design and to think about digital space that emphasize these societal or public friendly constructs. And that we should spend more effort thinking about that, given how dominant these platforms are now in our lives. How can we inculcate or how can we create these spaces that have these ideas of community, public, et cetera, baked into them? 
it's a very noble idea, of course, Talia. And uh, I think your Civic Signals initiative is noble. You, I'm quoting from your website, you aim to inspire and connect designers and technologists to build more flourishing, public-friendly digital spaces. But tell me, what does it exactly do they look like? Because after all, there's nothing wrong with arguing passionately. You're not going to get rid of the divisions in America. You're not going to get rid of the divisions between, you know, I'm in California in, in San Francisco, the divisions politically and culturally between San Francisco and, and South Dakota or North Dakota or Montana. So why should that take place also in the public sphere? And how would it work? How would you make people more tolerant? I mean, I think there's a difference between appreciating a view unlike your own or at least finding a, a space where you can have a considered conversation or encounter a considered version of a view unlike your own and adopting the position of someone that doesn't hold your view. And I think we're thinking more about the former here. How do you create the conditions where people can think as communities, where they can think as a public about how do we move forward in our community or in our country? And I think that's that's the space we're playing in. I, I think we're actually a better country for having people who have diverse views and we should celebrate those diverse views. So thinking about the ways to design that empower people as members of publics, as citizens of countries to, to, to work together for larger goals, I think it is really what we're thinking about here. And I think there are so many different ways in which we could envision design that does these things. I mean, there are, are small examples of that happening right now. Uh, a really simple example here is something like Facebook allowing constituents to identify that they're a constituent when they're writing to their representative. That's a very tiny mechanism that at least tries to promote some dialogue between those who are in positions of power and those who are being governed by, by those or represented by those individuals. And so I think that there are, I, I don't think that there's one solution that works in every single platform or works for every single person but I think that so often we're not even thinking about this. We're not even thinking about what does it mean to create public space to allow people to work together in a society. And when we look back at how is it that we were designing parks, that's what people were thinking about, right? How do we create the architecture so that a park allows lots of people to work together in a community to meet really diverse goals? And that's the kind of thinking that we want to see more of in these digital spaces. I get that, Talia, but isn't the the essential condition of parks, whether it's Olmsted Central Park or Florentine piazzas, is that no one owns them, that they're publicly owned, and that the problem with the Facebooks and the Twitters, and perhaps even the Wikipedias, although it's a slightly different example uh, of our age, is that they're privately owned and they're mimicking public space, but like a newspaper is publicly owned, uh, privately owned or a television station or a radio station, that really can't be done by a, a, a privately owned corporation or media company. Is that fair? I mean, I think there are definitely really important questions to ask about how much of this can be pushed forward by a private company. And I think that that comes to, to, to kind of ahead when we think about what is their incentive structure. So if the incentive structure for a private company is always to maximize clicks and time on page and to just maintain that, then maybe that actually comes to a head when we're trying to advocate for this more public friendly digital space. 
But I don't think that it necessarily has to be that way, right? Because these platforms are so popular and common right now, uh, it's possible that there are things that they could do to move in this direction. It's just a question of like, how much does that harm the bottom, bottom line versus help the bottom line? And I think in one sense, there's so much sentiment of, of concern about what's happening in these digital spaces by the public in general, that there may actually be a business case to be made for why you would want to include some of these public friendly sort of design principles as a long term, even business strategy. But all of this to be said, I think there is something out there to think about what would a public version of this look like. And there are a number of people who are really thinking a lot about this. We're thinking about it. Um, Ethan Zuckerman and his team have been thinking about this. So I think there's 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 thought about exactly that question. Can this happen in a privately owned space? Do we have to move to a publicly owned space? And I think the answer to this really is it, we, we need to be pursuing both because right now the dominant model is a privately owned space. And that's where we have so many people spending so much of their time. If there are ways in which we could move the needle there to make it closer to these ideals that we're thinking about and create this ethos of public friendly design, even in these private companies, I think it's, it's definitely well worth doing. At the same time, thinking about, is there a public equivalent that maybe is superior to these privately owned companies to create a truly publicly owned, publicly functioning digital space? I think that's, that's, a, that's certainly a, a project worth pursuing as something that we could move toward in the future. Natalia, aren't you an example of the filter bubble itself? You and Eli are both politically on the left, most of the people associated with civic uh, signals, people like Doug Rushkoff are on the left, Ethan Zuckerberg, uh, Zucker, Zuckerberg, Zuckerman is on the left. I mean, I like all these people. I'm politically on the left too. What's happening on the conservative side? Mm -hmm. Are there more conservative equivalents to civic signals that you can co-build or rebuild digital public space? I, I definitely think that it's possible there throughout this process. And indeed, in part of our team, we have people who have more conservative leanings. And we've really taken care throughout this process to reach out to those people who have very diverse political perspectives and not only diverse political perspectives, but diverse global perspectives. Right. We recognize that Eli and I are both really a, a product of an American system, but there are other views internationally. And so what we've really tried to do throughout this whole process is really take an international perspective on things and to make sure that we're reaching across the aisle. And those have been interesting conversations. In some instances, what we've learned is we actually do agree on some of the ideals. Like at the level of the ideal, we, we agree. We may use different language when we're talking about some of these ideals and we may prioritize them differently, but there really is a core here. And I think that that maps onto some of the research that we've seen on things like uh, moral foundations that we all share certain moral foundations, principles that we agree to. We may prioritize them differently depending on our ideological predispositions, but there still is a core there. And so in this, in this space, I think we've tried to be really thoughtful to think through, can we bring people together at the level of values and these ideals that we, we for most part, I think, share? Talia, regu regular viewers of this show will know that I also have a, 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 my, another show called How to Fix Democracy. We made a movie and we had in the movie a section on citizen assemblies, um, which are analog ways of modernizing the Greek model, the Greek democratic model of lotteries to involve citizens in policymaking. 
Uh, it's had quite a lot of success in Ireland, in Belgium, in Canada. Is, are, are citizen assemblies, can they be recreated online? I know there's a digital element to the physical citizen assemblies. Is this an example of something that you at Civic Signals are supporting? I think something like that is incredibly exciting because it is a way to shape the conversation and allow people to have a voice across different divides. Um, a, a related kind of concept of deliberative polling, they have done some deliberative polling in online settings to find out whether or not that works to bring people together and allow them to think about uh, ideas that are facing their communities. And I think that there, there is some efficacy to that. And if we think through what are the kind of principles that we've articulated and we've identified across all of the research that we've done to support civic signals, I think you'd see a lot of them uh, would be met in those sorts of scenarios. So I think thinking through how do we take that productively online is just a fantastic, a fantastic idea and something that uh, at Civic Signals, we would be 100% uh, behind. Uh, briefly, uh, Talia, tell me a little bit else about what you're doing at Civic Signals. I know you've got a, a Silicon Valley platform plan for this winter on cities and you're, you're, you're trying to attract uh, designers. Um, if, if for people who are interested, are, are you attracting activists or entrepreneurs or a mix of the two? Really a mix of the two. And that is really, we're, we're glad to have a mix of the two. And even broader than that, you know, academics who are interested in pursuing these ideas and uh, all, all sorts of uh, people that I think this is energizing in creative ways. So as part of the project, we have, um, we've launched what we call New Public. And this is a space where we hope that people can come together who share this idea of public-friendly design to share ideas, challenges, uh, think about uh, new ways of working together. And so that uh, consists right now of a newsletter that we've launched that we'd, we'd love to have people sign up for if that's of interest. And we're also going to be hosting an event coming up here in January where we're trying to bring these ideas together and bring some of just the most incredible thinkers in this area together uh, to get people really, really working together and thinking about how is it that we create digital public space and why is it that we need it? Because I think that that motivational component of this is a really important part of what we're trying to do in raising awareness of just because that's what it is right now in digital space doesn't mean that's what it has to be. And there's in fact so much that could be done to improve these spaces on the criteria of what makes things public friendly. Talia, you're a much published writer as a, as a professor at the University of Texas. You've done some books, many articles, uh, which people should look up and read. What else could people be reading, though, on both the challenges and opportunities? What couple of books might you suggest for people who want to understand the challenges and problems and perhaps opportunities of digital space, digital no. public space? Yeah, so I think a really big component of this is thinking about the motivation, what is problematic about the current way in which the world is functioning in digital spaces. And so I would urge people to read my collaborator, Eli Pariser's book, Filter Bubble. In that book, he outlines the problematic aspects of what happens when algorithms are prioritizing what you read and when it becomes increasingly personalized to you. So if we think about this from a political angle, are algorithms increasing the probability that you see like-minded content all of the time and you're not seeing the other side as much? Another yeah, book and, that and I think- Eli's book is 
essential reading if you want to understand why, for example, so many Republicans seem to believe that the the election was fixed. And what else? It's a it's a very prescient book, a book that was written. I think it came out in about two thousand and eleven or twelve, but it it laid out the problems that we're all facing now brilliantly. Yep, and I really think that this project is. Uh in part trying to tackle some of that and think about like, well, how do we fix these sorts of things? How can we make a difference? And then another book that I would recommend is Frenemies by Jamie Settle. And this book looks at what happens when you are seeing the public through the eyes of their Facebook feeds. What do you start thinking about other people? How does that influence the way you orient toward the political opposition, for example? And I have found this book to just re be really thought provoking in terms of what is it that 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 it does when I just see this snippet that people have hand selected for me and put on my feed and then the platform has prioritized for me. And in the book, she argues that it actually makes you think more things are political because you see a person who you may not have known very well post uh, very political content on the platform. And then you see them post other things and you start to form a network in your mind about how these things relate to one another. And it, it in, in effect, makes more things seem political and makes people feel more politically polarized as a consequence. And I think that these are just two uh, very simple kind of starting points for understanding what is the scope of the problem? Why is it that we really need to think about redesigning these social spaces um, and of course, there's been so many other uh, popular Netflix programs and recent uh, articles really outlining the scope of the, uh, the need that we have for, for thinking about digital space. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.